0: Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. I'm Doug Kristner in New York. Let's get you caught up on market action here on uh, Bloomberg Radio. We're seeing a recovery for the equity market today. Financials out in front. Uh, The S&P 500 index is being led higher by the financials group. The S&P financials better by 1.5%. And uh, the S&P better by 1% right now. After the bell today, the Fed is set to announce the results of the uh, second part of its annual stress test. This is going to pave the way, potentially, for banks to begin increasing dividends and buying back stock. Also, seeing a recovery in uh, the computer-related stock group. You'll recall yesterday when a number of uh, Fed officials questioned valuations in equities. Well, the NASDAQ composite yesterday broke below its 50-day moving average. Uh, we are back above that level right now. The NASDAQ composite higher by nearly 1% point three percent. Crude oil uh, moving up a bit. We had a significant drop in gasoline stockpiles reported in the last uh, data dump from the U.S. government. WTI right now at forty four seventy six. Long term interest rates backing up a bit today. Earlier Bank of England uh, chief Mark Carney saying, hey, the BOA may need to begin uh, raising interest rates soon. Ten uh, year treasury right now at a yield of two point two two percent. And Disney shares higher by about two percent. Disney owns abc news and abc has reached a settlement with a beef producer in south dakota that producer beef products inc had sought 1.9 billion in damages after a news report uh, featured critics dubbing uh, the company's product pink slime so sigh of relief i guess if you're long shares of disney there let's get back to uh, bloomberg markets more carol and oliver
1: like my meat medium rare just going to say that. All right. Doug Krisner, thank you so much. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. To the
2: dream, to the force. I think we could describe the Fed as a lot of things and a lot of different paths. Our next guest has described... The Fed's process as a quixotic journey. That's Tad Ravelli. as the chief investment officer at TCW. Tad, uh, glad to have you here today. Thanks for joining, uh, Carol, and myself. Now, when we think about the Fed, what
1: is, is it? Is it Don Quixote or Sancho Panza? That's a, all I want to know.
2: Oh, that's true. Who is <laughs> no. who here?
1: Go ahead, Oliver.
2: <laughs> so we're chasing windmills. Uh, what are the windmills? Inflation? What's going on? Tell us what, what you make of this.
3: Well, the the long journey that the Fed has put us on began eight or nine years ago at the end of the last cycle, and uh, we might recall that um, they took their extraordinary steps of going to zero rates, buying trillions of dollars' worth of securities, and there was all along the lines talk about how it was going to energize the economy, and once it had uh, sufficiently energized it, we were going to be looking to the exit strategy. We were supposed to leave these extraordinary measures so here we are, eight or nine years later, and the Fed's having a real tough time raising rates. Um, the smartest guy in the room, uh, it is said, is often the yield curve, the Treasury yield curve. The Treasury yield curve doesn't believe that the Fed has the uh, capacity uh, so late in the cycle to, to raise rates, and you're seeing that expressed through flattening um, the uh, narrowing of the uh, spread level between uh, short rates and, uh, and longer-term Treasuries. So uh, Janet Yellen's term ends in seven or eight months, and the journey, I think, has been quixotic in the sense that never gonna, it's, it's the uh, unreachable star.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess we're all trying to figure out, too, if some of the economic principles, market relationships that have
0: mm-hmm.
1: played out over many decades, whether or not there is truly something different. This time around, Tad, I think about the Phillips curve, right? We should be with a tight labor market. We should see wage acceleration. And we are in some industries, but we're not seeing it overall. So is it time for the Fed to kind of move beyond that and ignore that those old metrics, historic metrics that have uh, been right in the past, or should they stay, you know, abiding by them, if you will?
3: Yeah. So I think what you're referring to is uh, yet another version uh, another form of conundrum, right? Mm-hmm. Greenspan had his um, 10, 12 years ago when he wanted to raise rates so the, uh, at the short end. The longer ones came down. So here's the Fed sitting on its models, saying, as you said, that um, if uh, unemployment were to ha- ever have gotten to this level of 4.3%, there certainly should be an uptick in inflation, and it's going in the other direction, which in a way plays back to the to the broader theme, which is that, the, the, the Fed's a bit of a, of a lost ball in deep rough. Their, their models don't actually describe um, or can predict uh, the essential uh, variables and metrics to, to guide policy, and yet they continue to stand by them, notwithstanding that they don't work. The, the big question, of course, I suppose, is why don't they work? I mean, the, the simple, humble answer is because an economy is far – a modern economy, certainly – is far, far too complex – uh, to be um, To be modeled notwithstanding um, supercomputers and all the phds laid from one end of the country to the mm-hmm. other
2: tad uh, on, along that point, the complexity of the economy, and to kind of par- piggyback on uh, carol 's point, which is can the relationships uh used to assess the ec- the economy in the past work now i mean is has the fed done um a sufficient job of assessing technology and changing cuz we just had this huge issue in bloomberg business week about jobs all the different uh ways industries are changing um have they done an accurate job of pricing in stuff like uh amazon's contribution to deflation and perhaps a lower ceiling on these numbers i mean is that stuff uh b- being accurately reflected here
3: um I think the short answer is, is, is no. But I think that uh it it's even a bit of a misdirection to be looking at places like Amazon. Those are important places, but just consider the the, the following juxtaposition. About a quarter, twenty five percent, plus or minus, of the consumer price index relates to this academic construct, owner's equivalent rent. Mm-hmm. Um and so a big part of the CPI has been benign, um, according to those that put it together, because the carry cost, which is what owner's equivalent rent, I think more or less proxies the carry cost of housing, has been has been tame because of lower lower rates. But this is a very surreal kind of conversation. If you spoke to the prototypical 30-year-old couple looking to buy their first home, they'd look at you like you were nuts. If you said to them, oh, well, you should certainly be able to afford a house because your monthly payment is is at or below where it would have been when when mortgage rates were higher, they'd look at you like you were crazy. As in, where do I come up with the 20% though? That's that's the issue. And so that's not even measured. That's not even subsumed anywhere in the inflation numbers. So aren't we missing something very essential when the – Um, so to speak, the exchange rate and between people's dollars and what they can buy um, if, if inflation doesn't speak to affordability, then
1: mm-hmm. right.
3: what meaning does it
1: have? And I do wonder, too, things like the sharing economy and technology definitely making us all productive, able to do more with less, um, whether or not that's being measured accurately in our economy. Um, Tad Ravel, thank you. Chief Investment Officer, TCW, $197 billion in assets under management. Tad, joining Oliver and myself uh, on the phone in Los
0: Angeles. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg Radio.